Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So this is the sixth of seven classes in the structured study of right view and understanding the five clinging aggregates. Uh, this very short sutta teaches generosity in a very interesting way. So most of us, when we think about being generous, we think about um, perhaps giving to charity or tithing to a church or anything like that. Uh, and certainly that's part of Donna. Donna is a poly word that means generosity or great generosity of spirit. But as we practice the Dhamma and develop it, we realize that the highest form of Dhamma or giving is first to ourselves and developing the Dhamma so that we can then be that person and awaken human being in the world. And then we can give the greatest gift, with, which is the gift of our own spirit, our own mindful presence in the world, but now coming from an awakened point of view with no greed, aversion, or deluded thinking in that human being. And the Buddha teaches that in a way, as of all of his teachings, he doesn't teach anything that a human being can't develop. And so this sutta is very interesting and it gets to the subtleties of Dhamma practice and having the right intention for practice. So uh, there was a Tibetan uh, lineage that I took my vows in. And one of those vows was the vow of the Bodhisattva. The Bodhisattva. Um, and that's one of the most common forms of modern Buddhism, even though it's never really clearly explained or I don't think really understood. Um, but the modern idea of the Bodhisattva is that you put aside your own awakening until all other beings are awakened. Well, that's a denial of everything the Buddha taught. Uh, because he never taught that all human beings could awaken or should awaken or would awaken. That, that gets into the salvific mind state. And that's a very convenient mind state to not continue to look at yourself and develop an understanding of your own nature of suffering. And so if you're always, if your mindset is, I'm a good person, and I'm going to just keep giving and giving and giving uh, without nourishing yourself and your own understanding, is not true dana. It's not true generosity. Um, the first time I read this, I thought about uh, a book I had read many years ago about Mother Teresa. Uh, I think everybody knows who that is, right? She was a, um, a Catholic nun in uh, Calcutta and some of the worst of times. Anyway, I was always thought, I, I was always thought, <laughs> I always thought, I think most people do, that um, this, this woman just dedicated her entire life 24-7 to taking care of the, the poorest of the poor. But I read a, a biography about her, um, and in it, it, it explained that in order for her to, her and the nuns that she was uh, leading, in order for them to actually do that work and that you have the inner wherewithal to go out and do that, they spent four or five hours every day in meditation and, and in their practice in prayer. In other words, it wasn't a 24-7 practice. They took care of their own needs. And you could say their own spiritual needs, but certainly their own um, emotional needs. So they're, they're, they are ready um, 
to, to give generously of themselves. Um, and, and again, Mother Teresa was, was a Christian, not a Buddhist, but the, um, the view is the same. That, and you hear me say it often, and I might even say it again as I go through this, that the most loving thing we can do for ourselves and all other beings is to take to the Dhamma and awaken. Because at the very least, and I know I'm no longer contributing to the difficulties in this world, and I can actually maybe be of some help. And I see that the, the, the Donna, the great generosity of spirit that we all have here, is one of the things that I think is most amazing about our Sangha. Because we do it with each other, whether it's to me or to our teachers or to somebody who just walked in the door. It, it's the same thing. Everybody's ready to just give it themselves because we're grounded in the Dhamma. We're not clinging to anything. Let me get into the Sutta. And a lot of this is just my commentary. The Chavalata Sutta is very small. In the Chavalata Sutta, the Buddha teaches that right intention and the paramita, the highest form of behavior, the paramita of dana or generosity are fundamental aspects of the highest form of Dhamma practice. Right intention grounded in right view is the action arising from the perfected mind state of dana. Right intention is the intention to abandon clinging. So obviously, as we, if we're clinging or we're full of greed, we're not going to be very generous, are we? So the, the direct and brilliant counter to that, why can't I be more generous, is because I can't be, because I'm holding on to things. But as we start letting go of things, we are able to really share of our own essence. Right intention is the intention to abandon your clinging. Donna is the mind state that is settled in non-clinging. The greatest generosity is to be generous with the Dhamma. In the Chavalata Sutta, the Buddha teaches that there are four types of individuals in the world. Of course, there's as many people in the world, there's a different types. but in relation to the Dhamma, there are four types of individuals in the world. There's those that do not seek to develop understanding of the Dhamma. There are those that develop understanding of the Dhamma for others, but not for their own benefit, the Bodhisattva. There are those, in the Buddha, often described himself prior to his awakening. He says, when I was an unawakened bodhisattva, prior to his awakening. So we always referred to himself. So a bodhisattva, as the Buddha understood it clearly, was a human being who had a great compassion for other human beings. But they simply didn't know how to apply it because they didn't have the wisdom to go along with, the, with that true compassion. And so there's many um, examples in history of people that have in their own minds, a, a, a great level of a compassion, but because they go around, the, the way they go about showing that is hurtful. And whenever I talk is I think of the Christian Crusades, where you can think about the modern jihad, but you can also, also think about a, a, people like Adolf Hitler. I always go back to him, excuse me if I get people aggravated. Adolf Hitler thought he was doing the best thing he possibly could. But he was so deluded that he killed millions do, doing that because he was so narrowly focused and I'm going to save this group of people, the Aryan, Aryan race. So again, it's just another maybe extreme example of where this salvific mind, this, this need to save others can easily get corrupted and fall into a hurtful practice. I'm, and again, I'm not saying that everybody that's compassionate will end up like that. But the, what we're learning here is that the highest form of humanity is to marry our natural compassion with true wisdom, with understanding the Four Noble Truths.
those that do not seek to develop understanding of the Dhamma, those that develop understanding of the Dhamma for others, but not for their own benefit, those that develop understanding of the Dhamma for their own benefit, but not for others. And there are those who practice for their own benefit and for the benefit of, of others. The Buddha teaches, the individual who practices neither for their own benefit nor for that of others is unrefined. The individual who practices for the benefit of others, but not for their own benefit, is the higher and more refined of these two, but it won't get you into the awakened state. The individual who practices for their own benefit, but not for the benefit of others, is the highest and most refined of these first three. The individual who practices for their own benefit and for the benefit of others is of these four, the foremost, the most outstanding, the highest, and the supreme. So we example that in every class. So there's, there's one, two, three, four, five Dhamma teachers here, but there's three others here in the room and Tom's <clears throat> online in, another one of our Dhamma teachers. But the other people are also giving of themselves in our sangha. They develop, all of us develop rather quickly this understanding of dana. Continue with this. Uh, that's the end of the Buddha's words here. This is the rest of this is all my commentary, my brilliant writing. <laughs> with no engagement in the Dhamma, one will remain unrefined. Engaging in the Dhamma with the intention of benefiting others, but with no intention of benefiting oneself is more refined than an individual with no Dhamma practice, but it is still arising from a clinging view of self, meaning an ideology that I'm the savior, or that my role in this world is, is, to, is to save others in one way or another, but lacking the wisdom of how to actually do so. And then we get caught up in ideologies. I mean, that, there's a lot of it in the, in the world today, these, these extreme polarizing views that people find themselves in, and those polarizing views, the ones holding those views, are always feeling like they're saviors. And that's gotten to such an extreme, um, I think, across the world, but certainly in our country, that we're justifying violence, hatred, to save people. It, I mean, it really is insane, isn't it? But there we are. And that's where this, this idea of, I'm going to save everybody, or I'm going to save one person, is so hurtful. And so it's such a corrupt idea. The most loving thing we can do for all sentient for ourselves and all others is to take to the Dhamma and awaken. Still arising from a clinging view of self. This is an, an extreme view as it disregards a necessity to develop an individual understanding of the nature of clinging, greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. This view is a very subtle way of avoiding applying the Dhamma to individual conditioned mind. And I see that, and I'm not putting down other practices. My own experience through modern Buddhism is most of it resolves in just that, in this, whether a direct bodhisattva practice or the idea that my, one of the largest forms of modern Buddhism is engaged Buddhism. And really what that is, is a, is a practice of substituting cause taking and usually they're pretty good causes that people would say yeah that's a good thing to do such as ending poverty or whatever it might be today but when the focus is salvation if that person has lost their mind in relation to the dhamma and the potential to do more harm than good is always present there so the buddha when he was a younger man he was in a position to help an awful lot of people if he just stayed in his father's palace 
and his his father was a, a very benevolent king. He wasn't, you know, some tyrant. But the Buddha realized, even when he was a younger man, there's a higher form in this. He just didn't understand it yet. But what he realized in his six years of, of seeking was it wasn't so much that he could give people gold or silver or a chariot. Siddhartha Gautama realized the most generous and greatest gift he could <clears throat> give anybody else was the gift of understanding. And so Siddhartha Gautama awakened, he became a Buddha, and he spent the next 45 years of his life teaching anyone that wanted to. And that even that was an extreme form of dana rooted in wisdom. Because during India, and I think these practices are still going on in some parts of the world, and at, during the Buddhist time, you didn't teach, and I think there was nine, Mount Rama, I remember this, there were nine or ten separate classes of people. And the lowest people, lowest class of people, the untouchables, um, there is the law. Those people could not learn anything. It wasn't, you weren't allowed to, whether male or female, but then certainly females were not allowed to learn things um, of so-called spiritual nature, even of anything of, of real importance. And the Buddha awakened and said, that's nonsense. He said, I'm teaching everybody because this is for human beings. And he, rec he, 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 he went through, he discarded that whole caste system in his own mind, even though his father was a part of it. And he just let it go. He just let it go. And he spent, again, the last 45 years of his life completely giving of himself, but always nurturing himself, too. Those whose intention is to develop understanding for their own liberation will develop a more refined understanding of the Dhamma as the previous two. This is a more refined understanding, as it requires the right intention to abandon clinging. This type of Dhamma practice is grounded in right view and a basic understanding of the Four Noble Truths. This is where most people that come through here and start practicing the Dhamma, they very quickly get to this. Uh, they very quickly develop this type of, uh, uh, what are you trying to say? This quality of a human being, a much more refined state than someone who just doesn't even, even aware of the Dhamma or somebody who might come to Buddhism as a savior and now we're looking at it in a different way. This is a typical entry point in the Dhamma for most individuals. As long as the practice of developing understanding within the framework of the Eightfold Path is maintained wholeheartedly, the perfected quality of mind of Dhamma will naturally develop, leading to the development of the fourth type of individual. Right intention follows initial right view. Understanding the origination of Dukkha brings the intention to abandon clinging. Dana, generosity, is the mind state that develops as clinging is diminished. And again, that's what I'm trying to describe here. We all have developed that in, 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 just as part of our Dharma practice. As individual Dharma practice continues through right effort, all forms of clinging are abandoned. We've looked, we've looked at that in many, many suttas. Those whose intention is to develop their understanding of the Dhamma for their own benefit and for all others have found a true middle way. This is a highly refined practice that arises from an understanding of the extreme view of aversion to all understanding and the ascetic-like view of holding, <clears throat> holding only an outwardly focused altruistic engagement with the world. Excuse me. And that last was just another reference to the salvific mind. This individual, this middle way of seeking 
awakening or arahantship for oneself with the intention that you will gain the ability to also benefit others brings the true meaning of dana, great generosity of spirit to an individual practice. With the realization that through, through understanding your own clinging, aversion, and confusion, you can effectively help others in the path of an awakened human being. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll all be out on the street corners teaching the Dhamma, but you all will be much more giving and open and present for each other. And I would bet that everybody here would agree with that. That's a, one of the, the results of Dhamma practice. We're just able to be present. I often teach the, or, or mention the importance of being mindfully present with each individuals and to meet people where they are. And we get a little bit more into that on our retreats, what that really means. But one of the ways that we do meet people where they are as a Dhamma practice, as a Sangha, is the last day of our retreats, we always get up and we thank our hosts. And we make a point of doing it because that, that's, that's how we're sharing ourselves. They shared so much with us and it becomes a reciprocal thing. Um, go too far on that. The Buddha's own life exemplifies the ideal of the Arahant as the highest and supreme individual in the world. As the Buddha became aware of the nature of suffering, he sought understanding of suffering and its origination. He didn't go out into the world to save people. He went out into the world to, learn, to understand the nature of suffering, so then he could teach others that. Upon his awakening, he presented the Four Noble Truths so that all human beings can understand and abandon the origination of, of Dukkha. Yeah, I'm going to stop there. That's far enough with that. Um, so let's go around, but I'd like to hear what you think about the sutta in relation to your own Dhamma practice, and maybe you could talk about um, how you're developing a much more um, mindful presence with the people you encounter and your own um, great generosity in sharing what you know or even just being a, a calm presence in the world. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, John. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, so um, as, I, as I interpret this, what you're saying is good intentions are not synonymous with right intention. Yes. Good. Right? Yep. Um, and with this, with this uh, insight and as with other information, um, unsolicited advice is seldom appreciated. <laughs> so un un until somebody actually is ready to receive the information, they won't anyway. That's right. Most generally. Um, so un unless you're an example of something that they're attracted to or they see value in, there's really not much that can be said or done in the interest of inspiring them in any way. Yeah. Or even that it should be done. Correct. Yeah, it's really almost a subtle form of eye making to suppose that you're going to go save the world. Yeah, or or save the next person. And again, it, it's it's a um, it's an altruistic human view. I, I think I think most every human being has compassion for others. We just do. And only psychopaths 
and sociopath. And that's very rare uh, to have that kind of malady, if you will. Um, but, but the problem is we don't know what to do with that great compassion. You know? But the Buddha understood that, and that's what he taught. Yes, David. Go back to when you think about right view. You could be a kind and giving person, charity, good works. Without right view, there's going to be disappointment and dukkha because one always be appreciated or one always be acknowledged or one always yeah. Be enough to save someone, but with right view, it's just those very same things are without any judgment or implications or need to be seen. Yeah, and that's where that calmness is. That's where that nothing really moves from. You just become that. I just think that that's, again, always roll back to right view. That's right. You know, the, the oftentimes when we have a salvific mind, <clears throat> just that quality of mind obscures you from your own reality, meaning you, you, you feel that you're just such a wonderful person in the world. But, but it's, it's the idea that you're holding that you must be a wonderful person. And that's often compensation for what we talk about, what I bring up often is self-loathing. That if I could just be this really good person and prove it to others and get some acknowledgement, then it proves that I'm not as bad as I think I am. But you're still holding that negative mindset of yourself, aren't you? And I know people have gone their whole lives, and again, not hurting people, but missing the whole point of their own life to understand understand what it means to be a human being. And it, it it does not mean that human beings are saviors. We can't really save anybody. But what we can do is practice and integrate the Eightfold Path, and then we will remain harmless to ourselves and others. And that is the highest, the highest good, I think. Adam, what do you think? A Adam uh, excused himself. He wasn't feeling well. Okay. All right. Is is uh, Deborah with you, Jeff? Does she want to say anything? She doesn't have to. I think she'd like to remain silent. Hi, Deborah. I'm glad you joined us today. Hi. Hi, John. Uh, Slav, how are you? I can only see half your head. There you are. Oh, thank you. I'm doing good. Um, thank you for teaching. I will keep silence today. Glad you're here. Glad you joined us. Hello, Kevin. Hi, John. Um, but yeah, this is a really interesting, very short, very um, important teaching. Um, and, um, you know, I it, sort of, uh, if I reflect on the practice over these years I've been doing it, it really did help me in my medical practice when I was finishing my career that I was able to just stay calm. Like David was saying, I was able to keep calm while I was 
trying to help other people. And uh, now that I'm retired, I, I try to do that in my family and with friends as well. So it really has been a great benefit and hopefully mm -hmm. continues to deepen. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning, Anthony. Good morning. Um, I feel that I use the Dhamma, you know, with to, um, I think right view has been very important for me to recognize that I can't control, you know, how other people act or behave. I can just control how I can accept that and respond to it. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and I, you know, dealing with the, the client, some of the clients I have with, you know, substance abuse problems. I've seen so many people who, you know, come in like blazing and wanting to change and then they just can't stay on track. And that can be really hard, but you, you learn that, you know, there's, that they have to be ready in their own time, mm -hmm. um, you know, and that it's not on me to be self-effect and try to think that I can save everyone because you can't. Yeah, you can't. It's interesting that the original 12-step model um, was more aligned with this type of um, thinking that you should first benefit yourself, sober up in that case, and then help others. And it's yeah, a very specific actually way. Actually, the 12-step is to take it and pass it forward. Yeah, but also in a very a very um, structured way, not just not just going out and looking for people sleeping on the street, but find people that actually want to help. But you first have to do it yourself, and then the rest of your sober life is rooted in that idea of okay, I've figured out how to stay sober through the twelve steps. Let me go help another person. But it's through a, a totally, um, if, if it's done right, it's from a totally dispassionate way or. or a, a non-clinging way you just do it you know I, I still take two or three or four people through the steps every month uh usually via zoom um <laughs> and i do it because it it just keeps my head in, in the sober game you know it's not i'm not trying to save anybody and um it's it's like the uh the mental health field if you're a psychologist um, or a substance abuse um, person you know working with them you very quickly have to realize you're not going to save many people, but you, you do the best you can out of the, you know, four, five, six percent that eventually make it. But yeah, and, and unfortunately, it often takes, you know, a disaster for somebody to hit bottom. Yeah, yeah it usually does. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. Dama teacher Tom. Oh, wait, there you go. Um, hello, everyone. Hi, John. Um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting how, um, you talked about how we meet others where they are at, but I think the Dharma also has this uncanny knack of meeting us where we're at. Um, oh, yeah. it, it, as long as we're paying attention to it and we're sort of really, really making an effort, you know, showing right effort during the class itself to, to, to reflect on the text it always meets at least in my my experience it always it's always got it always meets me where i'm at at this time and and um yeah so it just it connects to this sense of dana um connects to lots of things i've been reflecting on with the company i run recently um and the ways in which 
that itself can be a vehicle for sort of generosity, but very much grounded in wisdom. Um, I hope um, from from um, inspired by by the eightfold path. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, um, I just got thinking about the the opposite of um, dana, which I don't know what it is, but it's that ability when we don't live with wisdom to cause so much pain to other people um, without really just not really waking up to it, you know, doing things. I'm sure, I, I don't know, I've talked for myself, but the number of things I've done in my life where I'm like, I just didn't um, fully consider how my actions were impacting others or my responsibility towards others. And I, I, I just think that the, the Dharma is a great way of sort of, you know, at least it's, it's a great way of helping us to wake up to that and to correct our behavior in a way which is sort of gentle. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's, that's all I've got for today, but thanks, um, thanks John for the teaching. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Sarah just joined us. Sarah, how are you? Doing well, thank you. I'm sorry I missed you last uh, last weekend. I was a little bit under the weather, I and I meant to I, I meant to get back to you sooner. But knew you weren't feeling well. How did the How did the uh, let, Let's talk later on today or over the weekend. <clears throat> Sounds good. I like to hear how that went. Uh, we're just talking about an aspect of the Dhamma that develops within us that as we um, understand and abandon greed and greed aversion rooted in deluded thinking we naturally become more generous with others um, in a non-clinging way. So, uh, let's go around the room. Thank hey, you. Andrew. <clears throat> the teachings in my own experience have, have uh, manifested themselves in, in the fact that uh, whenever, whenever during the discussion there is some disagreement, too often in the past, their voices would rise and get angry, and my voice would rise and get angry, and it just wouldn't resolve. But uh, of late, I've been conscious of that, of the right, right speech, uh, and it simply sat back and breathed a few times while the rant and raving was going on. And it was noticed. And, uh, I think it's been very beneficial for me, and I hope somebody simply by watching the example yes. has learned from the fact that it's not necessary to have rage every time the emotion arises. <laughs> so, uh, just an aside, that's, that's one of the benefits of teaching. Uh, well, yeah, thank you for that. That's a perfect example of what we're talking about. By you, Practicing wise restraint in that moment, you were really giving of yourself, weren't you? You didn't have the, the need, the greed to, to be right or to win the argument. You took a breath and, and that is a way of introducing peace into the world, isn't it? In a very practical way, not in some ideological way. By simply being who you are. It's worth the price of admission, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Good to see you, Andrew. Hello, Becky. Hello, John. <laughs> Well, like Tom said, that Dhamma always meets you where you are. Um, what I what I 
am taking home today is the idea of unsolicited advice and to recognize recognize when you're about to give unsolicited advice and use right speech. Yeah. And that whole idea has been very powerful for me over the last couple of years because I was really in a position where I felt like I could save my family. <laughs> and I'm really starting to work through the idea that the fact that I failed was not my fault. <laughs> yeah. Looking at it as failure is taking it personally, isn't it? That's right. It's taking it personally. And it still, of course, is affecting me, as you can see. But my life is has really <clears throat> improved because of the Donna. And I'm able to just see what's happening, yeah. what was happening see what was happening and see my contribution to it and realize that uh, it was it was done out of compassion but with no wisdom <clears throat> so when the when the Buddha says that you, you can't truly be compassionate I really, truly understand that, and it's very true. Yeah. Um, and you always have to keep in mind what your intention is, as, just as an aside, because what David said. If you're doing something because you expect <clears throat> praise, or you expect an outcome, or you're, you're, you're doing it, and you realize, but if you stop and realize what that intention is, yeah. then you can alter your going forth and you will react or behave with wisdom. Thank you all. Thank you, Becky. Another great example of, of Donna, just what we're talking about. Right. And it, I, I should say that I'm not implying that unless you practice the Dhamma, you shouldn't be compassionate towards others. You should be compassionate towards others all the time. But wisdom really brings that along in a, in a very peaceful way. Um, and that's how most human beings are. You know, so now we're, we're talking about this highest ideal. It's important to see that. Mm -hmm. the, the highest, most refined human being is one who can marry wisdom and compassion and then live in the, in the world peacefully and gracefully in all situations, too. Like what you just described there. Thank you, Becky. Good morning, Bridget. Good to see you this morning. And this teaching is just another perfect, you know, maybe they're all perfectly timed. Maybe you could come in and say anything this morning and it just resonates. That is what I did, by the way. <laughs> 
Will you stop talking about that? I know. It was just like a revelation. <laughs> it really was. Yeah. It was. Which is your mindful yeah. presence. That was so it's really so beautifully so beautifully said. <laughs> said and you understand at a, at a rather profound level that that is why you're practicing for everyone 
not just yourself. And it's all that, and all that you need to be is that awakened mother or awakening mother. You said something about cleaning and doing laundry and making pancakes. If you really feel like you want to do that, I'll give you the address of my home. Uh. <laughs> Thanks, Bridget. Please say hi to Jennifer. Now I'm a teacher, Ron. As long as you stay in practice. Yeah, yeah. As long as you stay in practice, because if you don't, if you, there must, you know, there's some really deep-seated greed involved in if, if you would just keep the practice to yourself. Yeah. I can't quite. I guess somebody who would, would go off into the hills <coughs> and and you know be in seclusion for forever, and that would be. Third one, practicing just for himself and and, and not for others. Yeah. Even Thomas Merton talked about that type mm -hmm. of person. Oh, yeah. Good to good to go up in the mountain and meditate. He did it I think for ten years. He says, but you, the only thing that's valuable is you got to take that to the marketplace. You got to right. bring yourself out into the world. And even Mother Island would really love to you know, yeah. get out Yeah, he, he didn't, Mogulana was someone who didn't spend a lot of time with the original Sangha. Um, he preferred that to be that isolated or disengaged. But when there was something important uh, that Siddhartha knew was kind of Mogulana's pre purview, he mm -hmm. summoned him into the, you know, back in and said, do a little teaching here. Thank you. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Um, what Bridget said made me think about when I was a young mother and uh, only one child, but feeling the difficulties of it all. And, you know, my mother said um, from afar, I was living 3,000 miles away from her, and she said, uh, you know, Mary, put your mask on first before mm -hmm. assisting others. You know? yeah. And it it, I knew what she meant right away when she said it, you know, that I had to take care of myself. And, and also the idea that your children, um, you know, there are probably some predictable outcomes if you're living this, right? That your children will see that and they want to yeah. be happy. So, um, you know, I think being a mother, being an adult is, um, 
you know, in a way like a spinning top, you know, gravity is keeping you up. And, uh, but it's when you worry about the future, you know, worry about the past, you know, those are things that are causing the top to topple, you know. Um, and I think you can give of yourself when you're upright and, um, and balanced. Um, I had the opportunity this week to, I, you know, and I didn't realize it till after, which is how you see, I think, your practice um, integrating with you and how you're living your life and not compartmentalizing your life and be really present with someone um, that I was providing some training for. And, you know, I really just thought I was just doing what I had set out to do for the day. And then later that person provided some feedback. And it's just one of those things that you, you say, I'm grateful for the acknowledgement that my practice is working. Not, not that I, I needed the, the comment, but the, a, the validation that it was a positive experience for the other person as well as always been. But I credit the practice um, with the ability to truly be present. Um, and, you know, you think about something as simple as um, interrupting others, which is uh, something I do, you know. I'm on to the next idea, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the eye-making that's even in that, I got to get my yeah. thought out. <laughs> I'm not even listening to you anymore because I can't get my thought out. And um, I do it, you know, less, and it's important to me uh, to do that less, but that's also being generous to others to allow them the time to finish what they're saying and, um, um, and present. Um, and so just an example of, like, I don't think the Dhamma is something that you do. I think it's something that you are. And, um, and so it's important to reflect and acknowledge, as you often say, when you are, you know, okay, that's momentum, that's encouragement, that will continue, like having a shift that will now continue for Bridget because she had that shift. So any kind of awareness, right view, knowledge is reinforcing the practice. And so thank you. Thank you. It was great. Yeah, the the recognition of our own development uh, is often seen in that interactions with others. Mm -hmm. Situations come up that you realize yesterday would have been screaming at the top of my life. Today, I understand it. And that's the the, everything about the Dhamma is for practical benefit. Mm For a human being, it's not. It's not about where we're going to get to in a couple of lifetimes from now. It's right here, right now, and that's what I wanted. That's what I. I didn't really understand it until I came to what the Buddha actually taught. But all those years before that, I thought that just the just that I was dragging my butt to different places. That that was going to be it. That that proves that I'm a worthy person, and you know somehow I'm going to get some kind of spiritual benefit from it. And that was a common teaching during the Buddhist time. It was, you know, the Vedas and the Upanishads, not to put down the Hindu religion, but that's what he studied and rejected it because it didn't give him what he was looking for, which is understanding what it means to be a human being, not something else, something other. There's even suits where the Buddha says we, we, we become anything other than self. That's what he's talking about. And anything other than self includes 
someone who lives their life as a savior. That's something other than what you actually are. And you could you could do great works, you know, throughout your life, but you you missed your own life doing that. So that's really the, the, the whole point. You know, you, you, it's not that if you don't take the dhamma, you're gonna you're gonna do harm in the world, but you're gonna do a whole lot more good in the world if you take to the dhamma first. Thank you, Mary. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. Everybody has said so much of like what I'm what's been around in my brain, um, but I've really enjoyed listening to everyone and everyone's comments. Um, so I was just trying to succinctly sort of say, say what I'm seeing, which is that ignorance, when we ignore Dukkha, it leads to a, a belief that we can control sickness, aging, guts, our yeah. pain, distress, despair, getting what we want, not not getting what we want, and getting what we don't want. We believe that we can control that. We can make that be different. We can make that not be or be. And then we become the savior. And then once we are the savior, it's a zip line, to use David's term, to complete distraction and stepping into that role of savior. And then frustration and expectation and tension and more stress. And becoming more of what we aren't. Yeah. Um, and none of that is helping anyone. Yeah, not even yourself. Certainly not us. Definitely not anyone else. Um, and so choosing a right view moment by moment is really noticing, well, for me, in my experience, it's noticing what is coming up in reaction to my environment and just letting that arise and pass away on its own without using it to defend my position or attempt to change what's happening. Um, and that's really pretty easy to do in now because in, in teaching, when I teach it, because I've been doing it for 20 years, I've been practicing for 10 years. It's easy to like have somebody say something or do something that suddenly makes me aware of, you know, an internal agitation and to choose to just be with that for a minute rather than than reacting like what you were talking about um but it's not quite as easy in close close relationships and that's where i see that lately of late 
that's where my work has been of really, especially the relationship that I have with myself and my own form and, and yeah. the belief that I can change what's happening physically and that I have more much, thinking that I have much more control over my body than I, than I actually do. And, you know, and so that's, um, that's really the last, this last structured study has been really valuable and kind of zooming in on dependent origination um, has been super helpful and like uh, relieving some angst that I've been struggling with. So that's a total relief. Yeah. You finished with the perfect word too. Relief. relief. Yeah. And again, that relief, another, you could call it refuge, but mm -hmm. and relief from what? Relief from our own ignorance. Right. It's not relief from uh, a worldly condition because that's nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. And if that one thing, just ending ignorance, or as we, well, I often say, emptying oneself of ignorance, is the greatest gift we can give to ourselves and others because it just makes our life a whole lot better. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. Mm -hmm. David. Mm -hmm. I think about these four different types. I think about refining. How your practice becomes more refined. Your concentration becomes more refined. So you may start as this one type of practitioner and become more refined. Yeah. That clarity, you start understanding these two things that Buddha is teaching. Simple two things. Everything else is commentary. Everything else is what you're experiencing the sun. What is dukkha? The cessation of dukkha. And it's all I stop thinking that I will become awoke. I'm always becoming awakened. It's a verb. It's, a, it's, it's just this is where I'm at. And I live X amount more years. And this next moment is going to be praying in the equal time. That's refined. So at some point, it doesn't matter whether I'm this type of practitioner or the fourth version of it. It's just, you know, Jen's teaching on just being aware of the arising and passing away is so important to me. Because you're not tackling this thing down, you're not wrestling it down, you're just being aware within the framework. And that's that practice we're getting to this fourth version. Thank you, David. Um, we're going to finish with Meta, but I just want to mention we're going to conclude this structured study <coughs> excuse me, on our next class on Tuesday. And then the Truth of Happiness Dhamma study um, begins a week from today. So I encourage you all to reread the book. Um, and we, we do that once a year. We usually start the year with that, but uh, I think I just had this brilliant inspiration that uh, this would be a good, you know, I've been wanting to put a little structured study together with right view in relation to the five clinging aggregates. And this just kind of fell into place a month or two ago. We go, yeah, let's do this first. And I think it's really worked out well. But uh, 
So I encourage you to get ready for the truth of happiness. Again, we'll, I'll send the instructions in uh, Monday's email. Uh, but I'll be asking all of you to re read the first, you know, read the introduction in the first chapter, the first week. And then we're going to discuss that next Saturday. So you're all going to have homework to do for the next 12 weeks or so. Um, we'll do something else. in the newsletter. We'll finish with Meta as we always do. So again, take a moment to find uh, your relaxed meditative posture. And take a breath. Let your in-breath and your out-breath settle your mind in your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Meta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart to what cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one Having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Sandra. I need a word with you. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Sarah, can you give me a call sometime today yes. or over the weekend? Great. Yes. I look forward to talking with you. John? Do you? Oh, you record what we we're saying in class on there, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Because I, I feel like I've listened to a couple of talks and they've ended before you went around the room. Really? Yeah. When were they? Yeah, I don't know how maybe I, I. Maybe I'm just. Recent talks? Yes. Has anyone else noticed that? No, I've listened to every recent talk and it's all Sometimes, are you on the Podbean? Yeah, sometimes the Podbean app just cuts off. Oh, it does. Oh, it does. And then you have to start it. I don't even use that. I don't think that's a you thing. It's a Podbean. I usually use the Podbean app, but sometimes I just go to the newsletter. Is that what you usually do? Yeah, I like the Podbean because I can rewind. Yeah. Did you see my, my email about picking up a Saturday? Yeah. I did. Yeah.
pod. What do you think about that? I, I, I was going to talk to all of you about starting to teach no, more. No, so. it's an audio. Yeah, I was thinking like like a podcast. Like not yes. next Saturday because exactly. you're starting you know, Truth and Happiness, sounds, but maybe the following Saturday. Sounds good to me. You're okay with me? Okay, because yeah. I don't know why Saturday feels like it's today, but it's like your day. But no, yeah, no, no. Because yeah. it's so much easier. Tuesday yeah. nights are yeah. tough for me. Yeah, yeah just, late. just change the, uh, the calendar. Just put it on the calendar. Yeah, yeah that's all. Good. I'm looking forward to it. Sorry, Jeff. No worries. Um, uh, uh, 160 over 108. Watch it. You know, I, I, I check it again in another hour and just see because that's getting up there. You know, yeah, it is. Especially that bottom number. That's it. Yeah. That, when that gets past 80, you you can be really be in trouble. So, yeah. I just keep a close watch on them, and if you got to cock them over the head and take them to the hospital, yeah, you know, you might might just have to do it. And I know, you know. As soon as he gets there, it'll give him some out of van. It'll come down and you know, right. feel better. So, yeah. You know. Okay. All right. Um, let me know what happens. You know, with that, and and I'll, can we get together around six o'clock tonight? Yes, we can. Will you just send me a, a text or a phone call just so I don't miss it? Sometimes if I'm writing on a computer, I, I lose track of time. So. Yeah. Hey, John. I, he's, he's sleeping. Should we wake him up or not? And it could have um, been a wrinkle. It could have been a wrinkle in his sleeve, maybe even. But I don't. I didn't want to. Yeah. When did you take? When did you take this reading? Uh, let me. Right at the beginning of class. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. He didn't get yeah. any. He didn't get any sleep last night. He said an hour. Yeah. Well, he can't like. You know, he's lucky he's in bed. I would say go in and you know. Take his blood pressure again. If he wakes up, he'll fall back to sleep, hopefully. But what's more important, I think, is just to monitor it. And again, it's it's pretty high right now, you know. Okay, I'll go do it. Do it together. Give him an aspirin, too, at some point today. Just one, or if you have a baby um, aspirin. I think he has some ibuprofen, but I don't, I think he took it early this morning. I think around 6 six thirty. so maybe another hour i can give him a baby aspirin yeah just to help you know get his blood a little thinner okay yeah baby right. aspirin would be best yeah all right is it too all right. early to give it to him now no i don't know no okay all right thank good. you thank you for taking such good care of adam where that's yep he's doing I'm gonna, write the, I'm gonna write the book someday all right i will talk to you later okay sounds good i'll send you a text Great. Have a wonderful day, my friend. You too. Thanks for the class. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.